It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Hello and welcome to another episode of Zero Duct Given and it is myself, Toby Tarrant, and I am sat in Barbados currently in a Hawaiian shirt drinking a Banks beer and I am joined by, first of all, Stephen Finn, who as always has got a face like he's chewing a wasp, who's in Brighton, I believe, in what looks like some sort of, I don't know what that is, some sort of cagoule. Basically, if you were to picture a midlife crisis, that's what Finny's wearing. How are you, Finny? Yep, I'm all right. It's called a fleece, Toby. I know you wouldn't have seen one for a little while. Poncing, poncing off your dad's name in Barbados. But, um, <laughs> but no, I, I'm good, thank you. Because the uh, energy prices are going up, I've decided to go for the fleece option on the sofa rather than um, to switch the heating on, um, which I think is very frugal of me. Now I'm in my old age. Uh, and yeah, I, I don't look quite as tired and cold as Dan Norcross does right now. No, I mean, it's, fr- it's frugal, Fiddy, but I thought you were doing it for the planet because you can you can surely afford a 35% uplift in energy prices. You're, you're doing it for the kids, aren't you? You're doing it so that the... I work for the BBC, no one else. Yeah, well, little tip there. You need to get in with um, the official TV rights holders of uh, England v West Indies and Australia, the BT Sport. I'm actually doing the next test match, and I bet you they're paying me more. Than, and I bet you they're paying me more than they paid you. So, oh, oh. well, we'll see about that. We'll we'll compare. <laughs> well, I mean, now Norcross, um, you you do like to constantly remind us of how rich you are ever since you 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 commentated for BT Sport pretty much every week, and and yet you say that, and yet mm. I'm here drinking a beer in Barbados, and where are you? Yeah, you see, well, yeah, what is this? I'm a very hard-working, hard-grifting kind of guy, so I find myself in the holiday in in um, Media City because it's very important that the highest quality commentaries are brought to you from the Women's World Cup through the night, and uh, tonight I've got the delightful prospects of Australia, Australia, led by the thin-lipped Meg Lanning, up against uh, this this tournament surprise package, although it's not that much of a surprise, the West Indies in a game that England desperately need Australia to win. Yet again, 
I have to try not to sound too delighted that Australia are winning games of cricket because England fans need Australia to win at the moment, owing to the fact that England have started so badly. But um, about this hotel, can I just say a couple of things? And I, I love it here. It's very comfortable and very unobtrusive. There's nothing too flashy. It's not like where you are in Barbados. And I particularly like these milk sachets. Now, what they are is they're like a sort of tube of milk. And if you tear it where it says tear, they actually tear. But before before you go on, I'm sorry to interrupt, Dan, but just so I'm 100% clear, yeah. you're going in, you're going to be talking milk sachets for the next few minutes, just so that just, the listener knows what to expect. Yeah, just a moment. Yeah, just a moment. I just want to get it off but my chest. Sorry, sorry oh, to interrupt. Crack on. I just I wanted wanna, to make sure you would, You definitely wanted to do that. I do. Fine. I do. I want to get it off my chest because uh, I've had a lot of problems with milk sachets in hotels over the years. They often come, don't they, in sort of, miniature cartons and then you do the sort of the pull and then you lose half the milk in the, in the sort of squeeze out and it's going into your eye whereas this is like if you like it's like a plastic udder so it genuinely feels like you are dealing with an artificial cow teat and where it says tear when you do tear down that line it genuinely tears unlike for example an hb sauce sachet at the breakfast table where it all goes horribly wrong and you have to get a woman with nails to do it. This does it. And then when you actually pour it, it squirts out like a cow's teat. It's really good. I mean, it's so authentic. It's like, I mean, unfortunately, apart from the actual stuff that comes out of it, which is UHT and has probably scarcely seen a cow, but every other part of it, it's like recreating being a milkmaid. And you know how I've always wanted to be a milkmaid, Toby? Well, you've always you've, you've speak a little else. Uh, a couple of things I'd like to take away from that. First of all, that artificial cow teat is a wonderful name for a rock band. But also that secondly, last week, for the first time ever, we did a relatively serious and sensible podcast about the passing of a cricketing great, Shane Warne. And it got really lovely reaction from listeners who were surprised at us showing a more serious side to our capacity. Mm. And here we are, just moments into the latest episode, and you're extolling the virtues of artificial cow teats and plastic sachets of milk. So it's nice to say that we're, we're immediately back on track. Doesn't take long, does uh, it? That doesn't take long. <laughs> uh, Finney, I want to come to you, who was looking even more fed up than usual as uh, Norcross went on that particular tirade. But um, I'm, I'm in Barbados right now, and I was thinking about this today when I was uh, on a catamaran and I was swimming with some sea turtles and drinking a rum punch. And I was like, this is, this is the best place in the world, this. And I think I've asked you before where the best tour is to go as a cricketer. And I think you said that the Caribbean is pretty special. But then I was thinking about it. I was like, the problem is being an international cricketer is at some point you actually have to play some cricket and you actually have to do some training. And actually there's a little bit of pressure in being an international cricketer because there's lots of fans wanting you to do well. And I realised the greatest job in the world is surely the guys that go on tour with you that don't have to play cricket. I'm talking your physios, your kit men, your marketing director. The psychologists. The psychologists. Who are telling you what what you need is to spend a bit more time by the pool. Just to come with me. Come and relax by the bar. That's what you need to empty your mind. (laughs) Look look how relaxed I am. I've realised that's the greatest job in the world. Finny, those guys were taking the piss, weren't they, that used to go on tour with you? Um, Yeah, some of them. Some of them, definitely. The physio is actually probably (laughs) the hardest working bloke on the entire trip, he always seems to be for a, what, a 15 or 16 man squad. He's on call 24 hours a day. 
so he, he didn't get too much time off. But yeah, there's um, there's definitely a few lurkers who um, who made the most of being on holiday. I'd say some good tans knocking around. Well, yeah, and also it's a bit like being the drummer in Coldplay. The the drummer in Coldplay still gets to sell out arenas and travel the world, but he can also go for a drink in the pub down the road, and nobody knows who the fuck he is. Chris Martin can't leave the hotel, and so surely. When you guys, you know, you just suffered another humiliating defeat in your, your in the team hotel, like the kit man can go out and get absolutely shit faced in Bridgetown High Street, can't he? He can, yeah, he can. <laughs> I, I only ever did a um, a one day tour to the West Indies, and we won it quite easily, actually. So that was um, that was good fun, and we got to enjoy ourselves properly. But yeah, there's um, always a certain degree of trepidation when you um, when you lose a game, and, and you might want to blow off some steam. And have a beer. There's definitely a time and a place, but did you not yeah, do, I mean, my you not do it. You didn't do a test tour to the Windies, no. No, no, I only did um, only mm. did one day tours. Yeah, it's the only place that I didn't do a test tour. I think of all the test playing nations. Are you, are you getting Elizabeth here on the? I am. The... Can I can I just just a little bit on Elizabeth? She's got quite the grumpiest face I've ever seen. Now, for listeners who are wondering who now, Elizabeth is, Elizabeth is not yeah. a human being. She is a cat. Another of uh, the menagerie of cats <laughs> that Finny has, and she's 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 got a proper attitude. That cat, yeah, she's she has a chip on her shoulder. She looks as though she's been hit with a frying pan in the face. She she's does got a massive, a little squash nose. Yeah, she didn't yeah, take to you um, calling her that either. Actually, you remember you said that she she gave quite a nasty look to the camera. I'd like to paint a picture for our listeners. Um, I mean, it's, it always staggers me that Dan Norcross works in, you know, cricket radio, and yet whenever anything pops up on Finney's screen, he doesn't describe it for the listener at all. So Elizabeth... I'm uh, not getting Finney's paid. Cat. I'm not getting paid, Toby. I don't, I, I, That's true. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Uh, Finney's cat, Elizabeth, does have quite a squashed face, and the best way to describe it for people that want to picture it... Do you remember the Guinness Book of Records? There was always those people that were like gurners and they could put their bottom lip over their nose. Yes. I think that's the best, yeah. I think that's the best way to describe what Finney's cat looks like. In an adorable, fluffy, beautiful way, of course, Elizabeth. Sorry, sorry, Elizabeth, if I've offended you. Yeah, because we've Um, we've already pissed off Ethel. We've got to be (laughs) Yeah. There she is. There's Elizabeth. She's just like one of the gurners from the Guinness Book of Records. (laughs) 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 She's not happy. So... Oh, no, sorry, no, we digress from talking about, basically, I decided earlier on how I'm going to quit my job and become the kit man for the English cricket team, so I think they've got the greatest job in the world. But also, I then got me thinking about the current coaching staff, because I look at Paul Collingwood and the likes of, you know, people that have been batting coaches in recent years, and your Graham Forbes and your Mark Ramprakashes, and they've, their entire careers, for about 15 to 20 years, been going on tour with the England cricket team, and presumably saying to their families, I know it's rubbish that I never see you, but, you know, I'm playing international cricket and as soon as I retire, we'll get to spend some more quality time together. Mm. And then they all take up coaching roles because they've they, the pennies dropped with them as well. Absolutely perfect. You can go on tour. You, you can go on tour without any of the stress of actually having to play a game. They get absolutely shit-faced every single night. Hey. No wonder Collingwood put his hand up to be the coach. I, 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 can, I can add to that. I, 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 right. So, Jimmy Anderson, after the 2017-18 Ashes series, and that... That was an arduous tour, okay? That you had, they had to arrive at the very beginning of November, I think it was. It wasn't COVID times. There was like some some warm up games and all manner, and it didn't end until mid January, well, early to mid January. So he'd been out there for two and a half months, and then what did he do? 
he signed up to do one day international commentaries on TMS and go around the country all over again. So, you know, look, and it was, it was a great sacrifice that Jimmy did make on behalf of broadcasting generally. But I think it's fair to say that uh, it, it isn't the worst life, is it? Finding yourself in imagine the West making, Indies. Imagine making that phone call to your to, to your partner. You've been yeah. playing cricket in Australia for, for four months and you go, I'm also going to do the TMS leg of the tour as well. I mean, that is, I mean, he's got bigger cojones than me, Jimmy Anderson. Uh, right, well, let's talk about the cricket. So at the time of recording, the first test match between England and the West Indies uh, the great Red Bull reset, as it's been called over the last few weeks for English Test cricket, ended in a pretty uh, anticlimactic draw, shall we say. England went chasing 10 wickets on the final day. West Indies finished 147 for four. The pitch was turgid, dull, boring, miserable, crap, whatever you want to call it. Um, Finney, I saw that Carlos Brathwaite said in response to England the last day, refusing to shake hands until it was mathematically impossible for England to win the Test match. So if England needed six wickets, waited until there was only five balls left before he shook hands. Uh, Brathwaite said it was disrespectful to the West Indies and that England wouldn't have done it if that was India or Australia. What do you make of that? When you were watching, did you think Joe Root was taking the piss? I didn't think he was necessarily taking the piss. It just all felt a bit pointless, but I didn't think he'd take any offence. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't watching. I was in the pub watching the um, watching the rugby. And, Brilliant. Um, well, thanks for your input. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. Well, you could see it was going to peach out into a draw from about three miles away. So it was, um, it, it was absolutely fine to do that. And yeah, I, I don't know if it's disrespectful. I mean, is it, very unrealistic, yes. But I suppose Joe Root's trying to make this England team his own and a never-give-up, never-say-die attitude type of thing. But yeah, I wouldn't say it was disrespectful, but it was probably pretty illogical. I know exactly what was going on there in Carlos Brathwaite's mind. I say that by, <laughs> by also pointing out that I don't know exactly what was going on in his mind, but I've got a pretty damn good idea what was going on in his mind. He'd been sat in that studio five days. And we've got so used to test matches ending well inside five days. He doesn't live in London where they were doing that. He lives, I think it's in Southampton at the moment, isn't it? Or, or somewhere down, Portsmouth, down the yeah. Portsmouth, yeah, down the south coast. And he goes into that test match and he's hoping that it's going to end early. He's told his wife, you know, he's got a new kid. Recent, recently got a new kid. And he's saying, no, it's okay. I'll be, I'll be back. It never goes five days. I'll be back. And then it goes on. And it goes on and it goes on. And then he goes, look, it's all right. Look, it's never going to be a result. They'll, they'll, they'll call it off with an hour to go, right? And what he's doing is he's looking at that last train back. And then he's realizing he's actually going to have to start asking BT if they can get him a cab to drive him all the way down there. And this is starting to really worry him and piss him off. His wife's probably on the phone going, you told me this was going to be over by half eight. It's not over by half eight. It keeps on going till 10 o'clock. It's a bloody nightmare. All broadcasters have been there. That's what he's hating. But in fairness, I found myself in a similar situation when India refused to shake hands with the England women at Bristol last year when the game was absolutely dead and the England women were trying to shake hands and Mitali Raj had gone for a massage. So she, could, she couldn't shake hands. So the match kept going. And I was on air going, this is absolutely outrageous. It's disrespectful. And what I actually meant was, 
I'm going to miss that train that I had my eye on. Because England have done it before. They did it incidentally against Australia in the ashes at Lords, when I think they shook hands only when there were three balls left and they needed four wickets to take. So Carlos's point was perhaps not very well made, but I have an enormous amount of sympathy for the point that he was making, having been in this situation a few times before. You you absolutely hit the nail on the head. I was watching you in the studio and I was like, there's a bloke who's been sat next to Mark Rabrakash and Matt Smith for five days. Let him go home. (laughs) Let 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 him go home and put his feet up and relax, the poor bloke. Um, let's talk about the positives from an England point of view. Um, I thought Joe Root's declaration was very brave in this day and age, especially where it only takes one bloke um, getting his eye in and, and, and stonking a few sixes around the ground to, to chase a low total like that. And the other big positive for me was, was Ben Folks, who continued to prove that he's a, a very, very good wicketkeeper, but also looked at home with a, with a bat in his hand, as we've seen already in this test career. And Finney, I was watching Ben Folks and I thought there's a bloke who should have played 20 more test matches by now. Have we have we missed a couple of really good years of Ben Folks? Oh, I don't know about that. I mean, could he have had more opportunities in the last couple of years? Yeah, potentially. But the wicketkeeper spot is one that isn't chopped and changed that much. You, you find your guy that you want to go with and you stick with him and you back him. And that man's been Josh Butler for the last couple of years because of his pedigree in international cricket, his ability to change a game, et cetera, et cetera, is standing within the dressing room. So, yeah, I mean, there'll be people out there and hindsight people that will say, well, he should have played 20 tests earlier, but you have to back the judgment that's that's put in front of you. And that was Josh Butler at the time. So no, Ben Folks is a talented player. He's an outstanding gloveman. I mean, slightly demoralising when you're an opening bowler and, he stood up to you. People who feel like they're bowling your pace, Toby, which would fucking break my heart to think that I bowled the same pace as Toby Tarrant. <laughs> I've had women yeah, stand in you. front of the stumps yeah. up so slow. Yeah, I mean, it, it would hit you and it's just like something touched me there. I wouldn't. I don't <laughs> think I'd wear thigh pads and I'd even consider not wearing a box when I faced you, I think. <laughs> oh, um, let's make this happen. Let's make you well, we face keep... Toby without a box. Thank yes. you. Now we're mm. talking. No, 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 he's easy backtracking. Um, he might be backtracking. <laughs> Let me finish my point, please. Um, but no, he's, a, I mean, he's got a test hundred under his belt, hasn't he, in the few games that he's played. And it looks as though now he's going to have that opportunity. And he's still relatively young. He's going to have that opportunity to make the spot his own. So um, he may have had to wait for it a bit longer than people would have thought. But but yeah, the, the wicketkeeper role is one that is not chopped and changed so frequently. I think we spend an awful lot of time going on about the the best wicketkeeper and who it should be. And should it be Johnny with a glove? Should it be Joss? Should it be... Well, most people didn't want it to be Joss, even though he actually proved them wrong in the first season he was brought in and, uh, and, and was responsible for actually a test win against Pakistan, against all the odds, along with Chris Wokes. Played a magnificent innings. He's, he has not been a bad servant of English test cricket at all. The fact is that England are blessed with a lot of very good wicketkeeper batters. That is not the problem that English cricket has. So... I would urge people not to get distracted by it. If it's Ben, folks, he's not going to let England down. If it's Johnny Bairstow, he wouldn't let England down. If it's Joss Butler, he has not let England down. That is not where England have a problem. England have got a problem, frankly, in fit, fast bowlers who can bowl abroad. And we saw it again. It was a really terrific declaration, I thought, from Root. I mean, genuinely brave. You skirted over it a little bit, given that he's had previous 
with the West Indies. You know, Shea Hope, those twin tons at, at Headingley with that declaration. And, you know, it was only four and over that was being asked on a flat deck. So if the West Indies had tried to get off to a flyer, they knew that they could actually probably block out the rest of the game. So they could have been 100 for one in 24 overs and really in it. They really could have been, you know, but they didn't show quite that ambition, did they? So he put his, he put his, his chopper on the block there, did Root. But then he looked around and he thought, well, I haven't got England's best bowler of the last year, Ollie Robinson, because he's not fit again. I've not got Mark Wood, who is predictably not fit. He doesn't want to. He doesn't want to have to bowl Ben Stokes. Ben Stokes bowled about thirty-five overs in that game. Forty overs is more than he's supposed to bowl in the whole series. And then Chris Wokes, who's a great man, a wonderful man, a terrific home record, but it's just not. It's not going to happen for him on those pitches. I mean, that's that's not a pitch that he's going to take wickets on. So it was. An, I thought it was a really bold declaration, actually, with an attack that was not suited to winning it. And I think maybe we should give a bit of kudos to Jack Leach, who has come in for a bit of flack over the last couple of years often when not playing then then being put in to play on a pitch that was unsuitable to him at Brisbane but he bowled really well on that last day and had they actually um, referred that Jason Holder one you never know there might have been there might have been a weird twist but it goes to show what a gem Jack Leach is he's a he's a damn fine spinner and England need to invest in him as well they need to invest in folks they need to invest in Leach I, I agree, and I think everybody loves Jack Leach. Um, if he wasn't already a cult hero, obviously the Headingley one not out confirmed and cemented his status as a cult hero. But also, you watch a guy who you know is giving everything he's got when he plays for England. You can tell his heart's in it. He wants to do well. Um, and I completely agree. And I struggle because I also am desperate to see Parkinson in an England shirt. So I'm always constantly talking to you, want to see Parkinson, but also bloody loving Jack Leach. So I was very happy to see Jack Leach bowl well and, and shut idiots like me up who are calling for Parkinson to be in the side. And also, like you said, it was, um, you know, Root's declaration was brave. And I think it was part of this Red Bull reset in inverted commas. And I fucking hate that expression, but it's there, so we'll use it. I think that was part of the declaration. I think there was a bit of motivation behind the declaration was this idea that it's a new era and trying to show a bit of bravery. And I also think that's the reason he didn't declare until the game was officially not capable of winning because he wanted to send a bit of a message as a new era. Moving on, I want to talk about Zach Crawley, who batted unbelievably well and actually probably showed a side of Zach Crawley we've not seen much in an England shirt because as brilliant as his double century was, it was very attacking. He was dispatching the ball to all parts. But this was a proper opener's innings. The strike rate sort of consistently around 50. When he got to 50, he put his head down and batted again. When he got to 100, he put his head down and carried on batting. Finney, have you bowled much against Zach Crawley? Because I said on Twitter, when he's bad... He looks awful, but when he's good, he looks bloody amazing. Yeah, I've not bowled at him that much. I mean, I've watched him closely over the Ashes series and in his international games thus far. Um, I've only ever really bowled to him in white ball cricket, and, and it's a very different game, obviously. But no, he's a big guy. I like batters with big stature, and he's quite imposing when you're bowling at him. He's a big fella. Uh, uses his feet well. The, the bat comes straight up and down. And when Crawley played, the, they got seventy in a in a non losing cause at the SCG. It was it was remarkable. Um, but no, he looked like an international batter, didn't he? And you can see why England have stuck with him, and he seems to have cemented his place for a little while. Yeah. 
do you think because I looked at Zach Crawley and there's been lots of talk about the angle that his back comes down and, and, and certain things and where his head goes and all the typical things that we talk about failing English batsmen. Um, is, there, is he an example of sometimes that maybe the coaches get a bit caught up in the technical side of the game and that sometimes you need to let a bloke go out there and sort of bat even if his technique isn't perfect? A bit like, did you find when you were playing for England at times, did you ever feel under your breath a little bit I wish these guys would shut up and let me run in a bowl a little bit rather than going through the technical side of me too much. Oh, I think people always have fluctuations in technique throughout their career. It's very rare that someone will have the same action or batting stance or the position they stand at the crease through their whole career. There are always small fluctuations and the best players work it out on the job and still score runs when they're not feeling absolutely perfect. And, still take wickets and are effective when they're not feeling absolutely perfect. That for me is the, um, the main essence of the game because anyone can do well when they're, when they're feeling great. But if you're, if you're feeling under the weather or you're not feeling a hundred percent, then what's the best that you make of it? And, and yeah, sometimes that Crawley's bat might come down on a slightly different plane than what he'd like, but so be it. If he gets on with it and manages to find a way to make it work, then good on him. I, I think actually in this era, by which I mean right now, and this is, you know, spending a little bit of time talking to some of the guys during the Ashes on commentary, um, they were quite horrified by how the coaches hadn't intervened in some of these batters' techniques. And part of it is because I think there's a slightly different style of coaching going on now, which is that, you know, we're here to facilitate you. We're here to help you. You come to us with your issues, but we're not going to tell you what to do. And you look at somebody like Ollie Pope, who, from my mind, is the the standout batter of his generation at the moment in county cricket in England. Um, and his technique has got madder and madder. As it, and you might think that it's because it's the coaches at England who are telling him to change, but I don't think it is. I think it's the coaches at England aren't stopping him from overthinking where he's got to. And actually, I think there's a little bit of of something going the other way around where coaches are not intervening and saying to batters, wait a minute, you're overthinking this. You're now standing on an outside off stump. You're getting nicked off on sixth stump and you're getting bowled around your legs, middle stump. So, you know, actually covered it a slightly different way. Um, I, I would like to see more of that. And, and I think Crawley does have a problem with that slightly, actually. I think he does start a little bit too far over. And I think his bat does actually look at his first innings dismissal. And it was one that has been repeated quite a bit in the ashes. It's that bit where he looks as if he's trying to hit mid on rather than trying to hit mid off to a ball that's outside off stump. And so why are you trying to hit it there? Now, in the second innings, it sounds churlish to be annoyed with him because in the second innings, he, he, he did play well. But we are looking at a pitch that was absolutely moribund. I mean, it was dead. And it's great that Crawley's got that 100. But that doesn't mean that, you know, all is well with the world and that all is well with England's batting because they got to 300 twice. What We'll be watching this and seeing how they go on in Barbados, how they go on in the next test, how they go on the moment they arrive in England. against They got New Zealand and South Africa on English pitches this summer and any of those little frailties, any of those technical problems will get massively exposed again. So, you know, these are baby steps, the red ball reset. Yeah. Well, um, you're, you're completely right about the pitch and actually that moves us on nicely to what I wanted to talk about next. The other test match going on in the world last week 
was Pakistan versus Australia. Uh, typical that a couple of weeks ago here on the podcast, we waxed lyrical about how exciting it was that Test cricket was returning to Pakistan and isn't this brilliant, isn't this wonderful? And then they served up one of the most boring fucking Test matches that the world's ever seen. There was 14, wi- 14 wickets in five days of Test cricket. Really, really disappointing. So Pakistan got 476 for four declared, and I'm not even going to give mentions to the people that scored runs because they don't deserve a mention. In fact, the only person I'm going to mention is uh, is Pat Cummins, who took one for 62 off 28. He can have a mention because he actually took a wicket on that ridiculous pitch. Australia replied with 459, and then Pakistan. I mean, if it was disrespectful for Joe Root to not shake hands earlier, Pakistan set 252 for naught at the end of the test match before they shook hands on that. Um, and again, I'm not going to mention any run scorers because all those runs to me are completely pointless. What a waste of time. Genuinely, at a time where there's fears over test cricket and the rise of 2020 and, you know, will the next generation want to play test cricket? Test matches like this aren't good for the sport, especially when it was the first time Australia had toured Pakistan in so many years. Finney, is there a solution to this? I was, I was thinking the other day, is there, is there a way? I mean, umpires are assigned by the ICC and a neutral, could we start assigning international groundsmen around the world? What is the solution to avoiding test matches like that? Have you been smoking something over there in Barbados? It's one of the worst <laughs> ideas I think I've ever heard. <laughs> international groundsmen. Yeah, like, like Thunderbirds. Like, you know, Scott Tracy will come in and sort of like check out your pitch. I'm sorry, but it's got, I'd rather, I'd rather, yeah, you can, look, we pay, um, uh, ICC pay on pass to go around the world and I'm part of a game. Why not pay a bloke to go over there and mow a strip? I, I, well, I think that shows maybe your lack of understanding about how tricky <laughs> it is to, um, to actually just mow a strip um, <laughs> into the middle of a cricket pitch. Uh, but Apologies think, to any groundsmen listening, by the it's, way. It's also, massively, yeah. it's also massively imperialist, Finney. I mean, he seems to be coming from this place where there's this, this central organisation that would just can't chart. We saw what happened during the Iraq war. That didn't end well. You can't just send groundsmen into other people's countries. Well, that's wasn't it the BCCI? The, the groundsmen would make a pitch shit enough for the BCCI. So they just sacked him and then sent their own man in to step, like, scuff around on a length for, for a well, little bit to make it well, spin. Well, my idea would put an end to days like that. I've got a guy who's, who's uh, who, no bungs in the world would turn my guy's head. He's literally <laughs> impervious to bribing. He's incorruptible. He's most incorruptible, He's incorruptible. Most all incorruptible he man. All, all he gives a fuck about is an equal battle between willow and leather. <laughs> and that's literally all he gives a shit about. Can you imagine? Can you, you imagine interviewing for that job? Can you imagine what that'd be like? <laughs> this guy's, I'm telling you, this guy's the future. Yeah. They In the interview, they'd leave 50 quid on the side of the table. He wouldn't even look at it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you could, I, t- I can see you both suffering. You're coming around to this idea. Admit it, Finney. That's, um, no, I don't think I'll ever come around to that idea. It's, it's shocking. It's terrible. But we've had so many three-day test match in the last two or three years you should be fucking grateful you're getting five days worth of test cricket i don't want a three-day test match either i want i want a oh you want 4.25 days <laughs> that's right you? thank okay. you is that Brilliant. too much to ask for as a cricket fan i just want i want something that goes down we're off the last ball of every single test match there's one run needed and one <laughs> wicket needed and i don't know why that's a problem 
Finny, Finny, Finny has hit has hit the nail on the head. It is that the quotidian run ridiculous ridiculous news cycle that we that we have means that we are outraged and describe cricket as being destroyed by a pitch and test matches will never recover one minute because it's because not enough wickets have fallen. And then the next minute we go to us go to India where the same thing is happening in reverse in Bangalore. We go, this is destroying day night cricket. It's over inside three days. It's absurd. <laughs> Everything is absurd unless it's absolutely perfect in the cricketing yeah. world. And all, all I would say is that I, I just think it was really quite funny that Pakistan went through an entire test match, only lost four wickets. And was it Fawad? Was it Fawad? Didn't bat, didn't bowl, didn't get an opportunity to take a catch. He was there for five days. It was the absolutely classic league, sun, Saturday league performance when you turn out for the one because they're one short. And you're back ten or eleven. Yeah, thanks very much. Yeah, there's a bloody match fee. Um, it was a, it was a and, five day TFC, and I like that. It's got to happen once in a while, isn't it? Because it brings them down to earth. I, I think it's fantastic. I mean, but yeah, that said, that said, it it, it it would be better if Pakistan's pitches. Because I know the second test match is ongoing at the time of recording, but that pitch doesn't look too clever either. So, and England are going out there to play a three match series. I, I genuinely still do believe that England should ask Pakistan if they can host the Ashes, because it might be the one place we might be able to, to get some draws. Draw nil-nil. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Bloody, bloody good result. Bloody good result, nil-nil. Nil. I'd, I'd rip your hand off for nil-nil at the moment. Well, I mean, I should point out, that to be fair, that having said that pitch doesn't look too clever in that second Test match, having looked at the scorecard at the time of recording, Australia 556 for nine declared. Pakistan 148 all out. Yeah. So there obviously there obviously was some ways of taking wickets on that. <laughs> well, ex- ex- exhaust your opponent so that they've got nothing yes. left to give when they go out of bat. But yeah. <laughs> now let's move on to uh, England women's, which uh, I mean, oh, just when just when the last six months couldn't get any more depressing for the England cricket team, and both the men and the women's side have gone to Australia and had an absolute had their asses handed to them by the Australian team and then just when it couldn't get any more soul destroying and any more embarrassing now England have lost their opening three games of the women's world cup and they are desperately hoping that the Australian women do them a favor so we've gone past the point of getting beaten by the Australian women and the Australian team to we're now at the stage where we not only are losing to them, but we also need them to win, but not against us. I mean, this is bleak, isn't it, Norcross? It's unbelievably bleak. And it's it's obviously what I'm going to be trying to whip up enthusiasm for this evening in about one hour and 12 minutes time. I am on air uh, trying to get people to advance Australia fear as they come up against the West Indies, which in any other normal circumstances, you would be wanting Deandra Dotting to smack the thin lip Lannings team to all parts. But not tonight, because... England are in disarray, and uh, they have been throughout the winter. I blame Henry Moran, the BBC um, uh, the commentator. He has witnessed four England men's losses and a draw in the men's ashes. He's witnessed a terrific drawn, terrific drawn test match in the women's, but losses in pretty much every other game, and then three further losses in the World Cup. He is just one gigantic demon of miserable lossy nonsense is poor old Henry um, uh, and, and and I also feel for him there is at the time of recording a genuine chance that England can still miraculously 
qualify. And that is largely because England have got the two worst teams to play, Pakistan and Bangladesh. They played them at the end of the qualifying stages. As we get later and later into uh, Australia's, uh, into New Zealand's autumn. So there is a danger, of course, that those games may be rained off. But if they were to win those two games at the back end, the next two games are crucial. They play against New Zealand and they play against India. And the way they're currently playing, you wouldn't bet on them to win, but they're a good enough side to win those games. And they could somehow pull it out of the bag. If they win, have won four and lost three, then the way it's going at the moment, because Australia are all conquering, there's every chance they'll make the semi-finals. But in a way, that's not really the story of this World Cup. The story of this World Cup is the fantastic matches we've had and some really terrifically brilliant cricket, actually. Some great catches we've seen from Deandra Dottin. I witnessed two the other night in uh, Australia's Beth Mooney took a ripper at slip and a, a wonderful catch by Maddie Green at long on. It's been actually genuinely high-quality cricket when England haven't been playing. And um, and it shows, actually, that these sides are getting closer and closer. The fear that England and Australia would go out ahead of the pack and render the rest of women's cricket pointless has not really been founded. The one major problem is, though, that Australia are absolutely fantastic. Um, Ash Gardner the other day, 48 off 18 balls, and it was proper hitting. She'd just come out of COVID isolation. She'd literally been, like, got out of the hotel about two days earlier and then thumps the back end of the innings. Perfect, perfect, brilliant cricket right at the end. Um, Australia is still hot favourites, but the next couple of weeks, it, it could be one of those weird things because we've seen it before. I'm trying to think about other, like, sporting tournaments. It's happened, it's happened in football, hasn't it? where side has kind of scraped through, um, I'm thinking like Argentina maybe in the 1990 World Cup, you know, slightly scraping through the group stages, kind of having a bit of a manky, getting through on penalties here and there and then coming through to be world champions. That is England's hope that they're somehow going to just find the performance, put it together. I do think though, they've become a bit stale and they do need to look at the likes of Tash Farrant, the left armour, Freya Davis, the young right arm seamer. Um, Brunt and Shrubsoul have not performed in a way that Broad and Anderson have. And there's kind of there's an interesting parallel there between the two great old timers, Broad and Anderson, who aren't doing anything wrong and yet they've been dropped. And Brunt and Shrubsoul, who actually aren't doing a great deal right and they're still staying in the team. So uh, watch that space. There may be there may be changes for the next match. Uh, just quickly, if you're looking for an example, by the way, of a team that scraped through the group and went on to win, when Portugal won the Euros yes. under Chris, with Cristiano Ronaldo as captain, uh, they drew in the group with Iceland, Austria and Hungary, managed to get through with three draws, beat Croatia 1-0, beat Poland on penalties, managed to luckily draw Wales in the semi-final and then beat France 1-0 in the final. I mean, that is the way to win a major tournament. So if you think that the Australian women are going to run away with this tournament, sport as a way of surprising people. Um, and you mentioned how good some of the games have been. It is worth mentioning, although it's easy to see, oh, England women, they've lost three games, classic England. I mean, they've been on the other side of some very tight games. In fact, they pushed Australian women all the way. They lost by 12 runs. They lost by to the West Indies by only seven. Against Australia, last... Toby, just very briefly, against Australia, they started their last over on 295 for six and Australia started their 50th over on 295 for three. I mean, it was that tight. Yeah, it really was. So they, they have, unfortunately, 
but on the wrong side of three very, very tight games of cricket. That is worth mentioning. Uh, anyway, fingers crossed at the time of recording, England women can still mathematically make it through this tournament. By the time you've listened to this podcast, there's every chance that they won't have. Now, Finney, I need to talk to you because um, it was around this point last year, I think, that you told Norcross and I that you were seeing it like a beach ball in the preseason nets, and you told us you were going to hit 10 sixes in all competitions. Ooh. And I think you ended up basically getting none apart from you hit some poor, like, 12-year-old kid around the ground in a second 11 game. Um, now, you've been saying that you've been batting like a right-handed Matthew Hayden in pre-season for Sussex so far this year. Um, do you want to make any sort of predictions about your batting? Uh, maybe just see how I go in a couple of these warm-up games that we've got <laughs> in the next few weeks. Um, but what I will say is I've batted more in the last two months with Sussex than I have done combined in the last 10 years of my career in practice, I think. So um, if the um, if the practice to runs ratio is accurate, then um, then I should be soaring con- considerably more runs this year. Oh, come on. Like, you know right, no, let's, let's, let's put something on this, right? Because we're, we're virtually there. We're, we're not going to use the practice games. No, we're not. Games. It's fucking it's 15th of March or so. Well, when's your, when's your first... The 14th. When's, when's your first... When's your first first-class match? Have you got to do a, like a sort of the university of game? Oh, you're about, three, about, three, about three weeks oh. away. Yeah, three and a half weeks. I mean, do you know, I love that how much the three of us have damaged each other's ego and morale over the last year. That Finney, in the space of a year, has gone from saying, I'm going to hit 10 sixes this year to saying, I'll see how the pre-season matches go. <laughs> That's how much we've crushed him as a bloke over the last year. <laughs> well, look, yeah, I, and I hope you feel I hope you feel bad about it as well. To be no, quite. I don't. I feel fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel bad, Finney, if it's any consolation. Uh, so let's 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 I think we should do this now, right? Because you know, we're coming to the end of the podcast, so let's set some achievable goals. So Finney, you got 14 first-class batches, but you won't be picked for all of them because you'll need some rest and recuperation in between because you're a star name down at Sussex because, let's face it, it is Sussex. and So you are a star name in Sussex. So uh, <laughs> let's say let's say you play, what are we going to say, eight games, nine games, nine, nine first-class or ten? What are we thinking? What's the plan? Well, I hope ten. Ten, okay. Ten, I won't. Yeah, 10 out of 14. 14 okay. we play, yeah. So 10 out, 10 out of four. Let's say you play 10 out of 14. And yeah. it being Sussex, they're in the second division. They're quite a decent second division side. So they're not going to get bowled out twice more than five times. I reckon, I think we're looking... Uh, we've at, got Pajara this year. I'm looking forward to watching yeah. him just bat for entire days on end. It's going to be lovely. I reckon, I reckon you've probably got about 14 innings in you, right? Okay. 14 innings. So how many sixes and let's actually sixes is just unreasonable. I think what we did with the sixes was I think we inhibited Finney. So because there were a couple of times when he should have gone for it and he would have gone for it, but he was like too worried about, you know, Middlesex losing the game. I think we just make it boundaries, right? Because boundaries are perfectly noble. Keep it on the ground. How many boundaries is it reasonable to expect Finney to get in 14 innings? I, I would, Frankly, if he gets 12 fours and or sixes, so that's any four or six, and there's 12 of them, in first-class cricket this season, that's worth something, isn't it? I think you're being... I think 12 is a very generous... It is generous, isn't it? That's too well, generous. It'll, Call it well, 20. He'll, just keep, he'll keep snicking them over first slip's head. He will. Or they'll do that... 
or they'll do that thing they do at uh, league cricket where they say, let's keep this guy in. So they purposely won't catch him or anything like that. And so, yeah, have, I reckon... Yeah, uh, and have one really good day against Leicester, won't he, when he does like... Yeah, he, he will. He'll go and get 19 against Leicestershire. And we'll look I, think like tw- I think... Look, I think 20. 20... <laughs> well, you, you 20, are idiots. 20 <laughs> is fair. 20 is fair, yeah? 20 boundaries. I think 20 boundaries this season, Finney. Have you got that in you, mate? Ten, in 10 matches? Yeah, fine. Piece of piss. I'll knock that off by May. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> Well, yeah, you heard it here first, people. You heard it here first. Finney will have hit 20 boundaries by May. Uh, well, well, we'll keep across that over the coming months. Uh, right, well, chaps, it's lovely to see you. Um, I'd love to stay longer, but I have got a swimming pool calling me from outside. How many so, rum punches uh, have you had so far today? I've had a few rum punches today. Looks like you have. <laughs> it was bloody lovely. I'm sunburned. I've had a few rum punches and I'm out for dinner. So, uh, chaps, you, lovely to see you. Uh, Norcross, enjoy Salford and uh, I'll chat to you both next week. Thank you. On air in one hour and two minutes for those of you who are listening, but of course it's too late, but yes, yes. Do, <laughs> do, do tune in retrospectively to Australia versus the West Indies. <laughs> While I squeeze a plastic teat. <laughs> now, if you only tuned in at the end of the podcast, that sentence wouldn't have made much sense. Chaps, lovely to see you. See you next week. Love to Barbados. See ya. Bye. Podcast Network.